0: Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Good to have Stephen Moore with us to lead us in in worship. Uh, As Ryan mentioned earlier, Jared is uh, still in California. You can tell because there's a white shirt up here on the stage. Uh, Jared's getting a really cool chance to preach at a church he spent a lot of years at as a child growing up and they wanted to have him back and uh, so that's a real treat for him. Uh, Jared's dad, Lewis, is here this morning, and he gets the treat of listening not to his son, but to me. I'm sorry, Lewis. Uh, but it's good to be together, good to have this time to worship and uh, to, to, to be together as God's people, to continue being formed by the Holy Spirit more uh, into the image of God. Uh, let's pray together this morning. God, we are grateful for your love. We are grateful uh, for your care. We are grateful that you have called us uh, to be your people, and that you desire to be our God. And we pray that during this time, as we uh, consider uh, one, of the, one of the great stories of Scripture that's been passed down to us uh, by so many generations of, of people trying their best to be faithful to you, we pray, God, that your Spirit would be at work within us to shape and form us more into the likeness of Jesus, that we may be the people uh, you've called us to be, that the world may know uh, that you are our God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. I was eight years old and I was ecstatic. My parents had just surprised us by telling us we were going to take a vacation. It was going to be a quick getaway to one of our favorite places for a long weekend, Washington, D.C. It was a short drive from our home in Virginia Beach, and every time we went, we always got to see new sights. Uh, and, and so it was a whole lot of fun. Well, we were especially excited on this occasion. We were going to get to see the Lincoln Memorial, uh, the Washington Monument, and several of the Smithsonian buildings that we had not had a chance to see before. And so my sister and I, as soon as they told us, we were chomping at the bit. But first, you know what you have to do before you go on a road trip. You've got to pack your bags. And so my parents sent us to our rooms to pack our bags, I went into my room, I grabbed my duffel bag, and started gathering up everything I needed. First was my prized Cal Ripken t-shirt. Second was my pair of homemade Baltimore Orioles jams. And if you're not between the ages of like 30 and 40, and you don't know what jams are, and you missed that era, count yourself blessed, Okay. Uh, I also had to gather, you know, socks, toothbrush, all that kind of stuff, but, but as soon as I had it all gathered up, I shoved it in the bag, I was at the door ready to go. Now, what came next was probably the worst part of the whole weekend, the four-hour drive to Washington, D.C. Four long hours of my sister saying to me, don't cross that line, this is my side of the back seat, Four long hours of, are we there yet? Four long hours of my dad saying, I'm so tired of driving. And I'm sitting there in the back seat, my eight-year-old self, thinking, I would love to be able to drive. I would love it. My eight-year-old self would be pumped to know that later this summer, I get to drive my whole family, 16 whole hours to visit dear friends in Atlanta And my 33-year-old self is thinking, 16 whole hours? (laughs) Now I get it, Dad. I totally understand. Four long hours, and we arrived at the hotel. Now, as a kid, about the most exciting thing in the world is getting to stay at a hotel. It doesn't matter that they all look the same, no matter the name, no matter the location. It's a hotel, and it's exciting. And you know what those rooms are like. You walk in the door, and to the left, there's the door going into the bathroom. On the right, there's a small closet. You go a little further in, and there's a, there's a bed on the left, a double bed with one of those generic floral comforters. Beside it is a nightstand. It's got an alarm clock, a phone, a lamp. Then there's another double bed, which, if you're lucky, has a matching floral comforter on it. Across from the beds is a dresser with a TV on it. That's always the most fun part for a kid. And then there's that oversized window with the curtain that can't possibly keep the sun out when it rises in the morning, but you do everything you can to try to get it shut as tightly as possible because you don't want to wake up any earlier than you have to. There's the air conditioning unit underneath the window, you know the room, you can imagine it in your mind, we finally get checked in, and we get up to the door, and as soon as the door opens, I race in that room, past the bathroom, past the first bed, past the nightstand, past the TV, past the second bed, to claim the prized spot in the hotel room, that small sliver of space between the window, the air conditioning unit, and the second double bed. It was only eight or ten square feet, but I'm telling you, after four hours of sharing a back seat, it felt like my own little kingdom. It was glorious. Absolutely glorious. We're in the middle of a quick flyover of the whole story of Scripture as we try to think about what it means to live a better story. Last week, Jared took us through chapter 1, what we call the story of creation. It's a story that uses rhythm and cadence and repetition to portray the wonder of creation to delight in the fact that, that God has created humanity in divine love, by divine love, in order to share divine love. And yet today, as we turn the page to chapter 2, we find that God's ideal is disrupted by conflict. I want to invite you to to listen with me to the words of Genesis 3. You can turn there in your Bible if you'd like or read along on the screen as we listen to these words uh, of the Lord. The snake was the most intelligent of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat the fruit of the garden's trees, but not the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, don't eat from it, and don't touch it, or you will die. The snake said to the woman, you won't die. God knows that on the day you eat from it, you will see clearly and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was beautiful with delicious food and that the tree would provide wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then they both saw clearly and knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made garments for themselves. During that day's cool evening breeze, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God in the middle of the garden's trees. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? The man replied, I, I heard your sound in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? The woman said, the snake tricked me. And I ate. You know that feeling you get when you can tell somebody's about to make a really bad choice? That feeling uh, of wishing that there were some way to get their attention, some way to, to convince them to make a different choice, to make the right choice? That, that's the feeling I get every time I hear this story. Every time the snake begins to speak, every time Eve's expression changes, as the snake begins to convince her, hey, this might be a good idea. Every time Adam listens eagerly to the words of Eve, and yet every single time they grab hold of the forbidden fruit, every single time they taste it for themselves, and every single time it breaks my heart watching them do something that will wreak havoc for generation after generation after generation all throughout the world. And When we're kids, the story kind of seems like it's pretty simple. Like there's a, a real easy explanation, a, a real clear point. It's about obeying the rules. And specifically for a child, it's about obeying the rules your parents give you. They know better. You should trust them enough to follow their instructions. Don't touch the stove. Look both ways before you cross the street. Brush your teeth before you crawl into bed. Simple rules, clear rules, rules from wisdom and experience. The kind of basic rules that every child receives from a parent as a kid. But every child wonders, what if? Now remember, as a child, there were times where I would break those rules and when I would get caught oh, there was nothing worse but even when I didn't get caught there was a sense of guilt a sense of disappointment with myself a sense of shame there were unexpected consequences besides that sometimes something would break sometimes people would get hurt but even if they didn't the shame the guilt they were rough And they plagued me. And afterwards, almost instantly afterwards, I knew without a doubt that the best way to live was to live a life of unquestioned obedience to those rules my parents gave me. And you read this story as a kid and you think, ah, if only Adam and Eve could have obeyed God with unquestioning obedience. But the older I get, the more I think about this story, the more it seems like disobedience isn't actually the, the heart of what's going on. The, the story seems to be more about betrayal than about disobedience. It's about breaking someone's trust more than it's about breaking a rule. It's less like a story about two children who decide to disobey. It, it It's more like a man and a woman who decide to turn their backs on the one who loved them so much that he gave them their very life. Sin, sin is more about the fracturing of a relationship than about failing to keep regulations. I'll say it again because we need to hear it again. Sin is more about the fracturing of a relationship than about failing to keep regulations. And that's exactly what happens in this story Everything changes when Adam and Eve take life into their own hands. The oneness, the unity, the mutuality God desires, it's, it's gone. It's not enough for Adam and Eve. They're not content to be in a trusting relationship with God. They're not content with God taking care of them, God being with them. They want to know more. They want to do more. They want to be more. I mean, The truth is they want to replace God rather than relate to God. And they're willing to risk it all, to find out what it's like to be in God's place, to to take God's role as author of this story. And because God loves them so much, even as God is watching and wishing that he could do something, anything to get them to make the right choice, God lets them make their own. Gives them the freedom to do just what they want to do. And so they make their declaration of independence. They take the fruit and they eat it. It's a way of trying to wrestle control of their own stories away from God so that they can be the authors, so that they can write themselves as the main characters in the story. For at least a little bit, you know, they are thrilled. For at least a little bit, it seems like they made the right choice. They are experiencing something they never could have imagined. Their eyes are opened. The world is so much bigger than they ever could have imagined. They can see things they never could have seen before, but then they hear God roaming around the garden, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they are overwhelmed with shame. Devastated to discover that every bit of dignity they ever had is gone. The relationship has been broken. Not only have they broken God's rules. They have broken God's heart. And yet it's amazing. You know, God's roaming around the garden. And God doesn't go after them. In an aggressive. Condemning manner. God calls out. Tenderly. Gently. Gently. You there? Where are you? What's going on? God responds to their anxious nakedness with a kind of tenderness we can only hope to imitate. Now, life won't ever be the same. That's the natural consequence of breaking trust the way that Adam and Eve have broken trust, the way that humanity has broken trust. And yet, God is intent on maintaining relationships somehow, some way, even if it's not all that it could have been. And so, God, God invites them come out of hiding. Let's talk. God shows Adam and Eve forgiveness, God shows them forgiveness. Grace, even when they least deserve it. Now you, you don't need me to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. You and I, we, we make the same exact mistakes. We make the same exact bad choices that Adam and Eve made. Time and time again, we have made the decision to reach for more for more knowledge, for more power, for more wealth, for more pleasure. We want more of everything, and we often want it now. And we want it even if it means hurting the ones we love, even if it means causing stress and anxiety for the people who care the most about it, even if it means hurting the ones who love us the most, even if it means risking every relationship that matters. We want more. Time and time again, we've reached for more we don't think of it that way but it's the truth we we're greedy more than that we just want our own way and so we break trust we betray the ones we love the most and and the thing is when we do this when we when we commit these acts of betrayal it's it's never just like breaking a simple rule It's always more like committing adultery. It's like, the best way I I can think to understand it is we, we don't commit sins against a moral standard. We commit sins against someone. Someone who loves us more than we could ever begin to understand. We, we choose to be unfaithful to the God who has always been faithful to us, the one who, who is waiting with, with an open embrace, with arms that are eager to receive us. And just like Adam and Eve before us, we end up hurting God and we hurt the people around us. We, we ask them to lie for us or to believe the lies that we tell. We ask them to, to imitate us in our unrelenting pursuit of more. We, we take advantage of their innocence to get ahead of them so that we can have what they don't have. We treat them. Like supporting characters in a story that's all about us, you and I. We've made the same bad choice time after time after time. My family had stayed in a hotel room a few times before. And so I knew what was always first on my parents' agenda when we walked in the door It was to get situated, to settle in. And as an eight-year-old, I had better things to do. I had packed in my duffel bag stuff so I could have fun, so I could enjoy myself while they did all the hard work. I didn't need to mess with that. And so over there in my little corner, in my little kingdom, I hunched over and I flipped the pages. I was reading... Truthfully, not so much reading, just looking, image after image after image. And, and I got caught up, you know, time just stood still. And then all of a sudden, Keith, my mom's screech startled me. I can't believe it. How could you? The one rule I gave you was to leave your baseball cards at home. I was immediately overcome the shame it started in my guts and it rose to my eyes and it poured out in tears never before had I intentionally betrayed the woman who gave me birth the woman who loved me so much the woman who had shown me more than anybody else what love is You know, there was punishment of some sort, but all these years later, I don't remember what it was. Maybe I had to skip the building I was looking most forward to at the Smithsonian. What I do remember was not the punishment. I do remember the natural consequence. Trust was broken. It was done. And my eight-year-old self, as silly as it sounds now, legitimately wondered, could I ever rebuild That trust would we ever recover from this mess you know I don't I don't know what it is for you it's probably not a binder of baseball cards in a duffel bag at least I hope not but it's something it's something you and I we we say things we do things every day to try to write our own stories to try to make ourselves the main characters. Every day, you and I, we fail. We fall. And sometimes, like with the baseball cards, the impact of the damage is pretty minor. Other times, the fallout is catastrophic. We never could have imagined how far it would reach. But brothers and sisters, just... Just as the fall of humankind in Genesis 3 wasn't the end of the story, neither are your falls the end of your story. And my falls are not the end of my story. There's more to the story yet. The good news is no matter how hard we try to change it, God is always at the center of the story we live in. God is always writing the story we live in. And God refuses to leave things fractured and bleeding and broken, God refuses to give up on us. Regardless of how many times we betray Him or we betray each other, God still manages, somehow, some way, no matter how much we distort it, to see God's holy and sacred image deep within us, written on our hearts. And so, every time we fall, every time we fall, God is waiting. Forgive. God is ready to greet us with grace. And so, whatever your fall, yesterday, today, tomorrow, remember that God is always, forever, calling out, tenderly, gently, come out of hiding. Come out, let's chat. We can find a way forward. God's always calling. Always calling. Inviting you and inviting me to leave behind the shame of our falls. Longing for us to return to him. Because with God, no fall is ever final. The story isn't over yet. It's good news. Great news. It's the news we celebrate today. In a moment, we're going to sing a song together. And as we do, we're going to have a couple shepherding couples out these doors near our prayer room. And if you are here today with the shame of a fall weighing heavily on your shoulders, this may be the perfect time to unload that shame with a couple who, who loves and cares for you and wants to be a representative of God's forgiveness and God's grace. If you've got something else that you want to celebrate, they're there for you as well. If you just want to share what's going on in your life, do that as well. But, but as we stand and we sing this song, never forget, no fail, no fail. No fall is final. God's story isn't over yet. Let's sing about God's amazing grace. Stand and join us.